And thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News. And, well, because beer is a conversation, I don't do this alone. I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Pete Mitchum. How are you there, Pete? G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Regular. I mean, well, I'm, I'm yeah. saying that because we're recording regularly. <laughs> yeah, but it's still going to go up to yet. do that in the past. <laughs> And there's probably, because we've uh, only spoken a few days ago, um, getting trying to get this out, uh, this is part two of my interview uh, with the guys at CUB talking about all things Crown and uh, the resurrection of Crown. What did you think of the first interview, uh, Pete, the, the first half? you've uh... oh, It was interesting to hear somebody from CUB talking to somebody called Matt Kierkegaard on record. <laughs> Particularly about Crown Lager. But, uh, yeah, no, look, it's, and, and it was big of them to acknowledge that um, maybe they got the history of Crown Lager um, all wrong. Um, oh, and that look, they really... If I can just jump in there, Matt, and uh, I guess in your defence, because I've heard people say, oh, you know, this, that and the other, and, you know, oh, you know, it's just marketing. There was Never any time was there a suggestion that there was sort of, you know, oh, you guys are idiots or um, this is typical of big beer or anything like that. It was really just kind of tapping a mate on the shoulder and saying, you know, you've got a, a word misspelled on your T-shirt or, you know. <laughs> your flies on your fly, Exactly. It, it, it wasn't like, okay, well, okay, perhaps a little bit more public. It was perhaps getting on the loud hailer in Fed Square and saying, Matt Kierkegaard, your flies on done. Well, to, to, so to, to, to be fair. Um, that closer comparison. To be fair, um, when I first uh, sort of found all of this stuff that indicated that they had their history uh, wrong, I sent it to them um, and sort of said, oh, look, you know, this is odd. You, you say that the beer wasn't invented until 1919 and you're advertising it in 1914. What's the go here? And, you know, a, a month and about 15 follow-up emails later, I still didn't have a response. And it was only then when, you know, I, I'd, I'd sort of whispered to them out quietly out the back that uh, your fly's undone. Um, that, that was when I got on the loudspeaker on, in front of school assembly and uh, told them that the uh, fly was undone and they got a little bit embarrassed. So, yeah. um, and it, look... Uh, thanks for rushing to my defence there, Pete. But there was a little bit of um, in 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 the coverage. It happened at a time when there was a little bit of shenanigans going on with the uh, the, the advertising, um, and there was a little bit of well, you know, this is this is symptomatic of some of the things that uh, CUB do, um, and you know, I went fairly hard on it because it did seem to be a fairly big issue. They were spending a lot of money telling people something that wasn't quite correct, and uh, yeah, whilst. To you and me, it, um, it, it's probably a fairly minor thing. Um, I mean, I, I was, um, how, how do you say it? I, you know, I, I was fueled by thinking back to, you know, when I was a, a young beer drinker and was first getting interested in beer, there wasn't a lot of uh, resources. You don't didn't have the internet, that um, you know, all the things we have now. That's right. And, it's Matt and I are both old enough to remember a time before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't have, like, you, you couldn't just sort of... Uh, check in or, you know, uh, go to Rate Beer or Crafty Pint and find out the, the backstory of a beer. Exactly. Yeah. You relied on what was said on the label and in the advertising. Um, uh, and when that was wrong, um, you know, I, I felt a little bit cheated um, because, you know, you're being told that this is, you know, a beer that was made for royalty and things, and you go, oh, wow. Um, and But the thing that made me angry um, was that it wasn't just that it was some marketers trying to pull shifty. They genuinely didn't know themselves, and you know, you, you and I spend a lot of time going to corporate, um, you know, things where we're speaking to brewers and the marketers, and you know, hearing you know about how valuable our history is to us, um, and and you're constantly told how valuable their history is, and you're mm. thinking, well, if your history is valuable, shouldn't you at least know it? Yeah, or fact check it, or 
Yeah, yeah, and, and it 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 come about um, as as the story developed and more and more people started filling in some of the gaps um, that I'd found myself. It, it it turned out that it had just been um, you know a, a story had been created in the mid eighties, or a story had been. Um, you know, it's like an, a, a wives' tale where you know Aunt Edna tells you that you know, well, Uncle Jack won the Victoria Cross at Gallipoli, and you know, a, a family story that's gone on. Yeah, it turns no out one ever goes. Like a Cupid or the Yekka in nineteen sixty-three. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But the the, the family legend, and it just becomes self-referenced. Um, and yeah, and, and that's fine. But when you're spending millions of dollars telling people something, you know, I just sort of thought that there should have been a little bit more uh, diligence. Um, when you're telling people something um, about your history and telling them how important your history is to you. But um, anyway, but yeah, no, look, I, I, it was an interesting interview. I think if, if you want to know all about the latest and craziest hopping regimes, it may not have really appealed, but it was one of those interviews that, um, yeah, look, if you're interested in marketing and beer and how business thinks and how business works and how what appears on the shelf gets there, I, I, I thought it was a very interesting chat. And you, you can't take any of that away from... Um, how important that is, whether you're a, a small craft brewer or you know Australia's largest brewer, um, those yep. things are all very, very important. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, mate. But before we go on to part two of that interview, when I speak to uh, Chief Brewer Jadeep Chandrasekhar, um, a name that I had a little bit of trouble with during the podcast, and also a special guest appearance by the Crown Marketing Manager Scott Tyndall, where we talk about Crown Ambassador Reserve. Um, there hasn't been too much news this week, but uh, one of the things that's so has made a little bit of news is KFC wants to put beer into its uh, takeaway outlets. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, look, I, I mean, okay, uh, have had KFC in the past, have not had it for oh, I don't know, probably a decade. I don't know. Should probably um, start by saying that you absolutely refuse to go to McDonald's, for example. I haven't been. I haven't darkened the doorstep of McDonald's since uh, June 1980, 79, 79, year nine, yeah. And, and that's just a, a personal, a personal thing. Just having researched it and looked into it, and I just said, no, nah, it's 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 not for me. I can understand how. Uh, I don't begrudge anyone who does, and my kids go to parties that are held at McDonald's, you know, birthday parties for their friends and that sort of thing. It's it's, it's nothing like that. We just don't. Do they take their lunch in a brown paper bag? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no they they share in with, with all the other kiddies. <laughs> okay okay but anyway so so but you, you're not a huge fan of these things anyway um, no but i but i put i put kfc in a in a in a separate category but that's that's for a whole other a whole other group of reasons so let's look You've at got a thing against chickens <laughs> well you know there's a there's a there's a you know one of those internet myths uh, the reason that they change it from kentucky fried chicken to kfc is because they don't use uh, they use a creature now that is genetically modified to the point where it, it isn't actually classified as chicken. And I go, where do these people get these things? <laughs> they did it because of the word f fried. Fried. Yep. Yeah. KFC. Oh, that's all right. That's that sounds healthy. Anyway, um, so but yes. Okay. So so we've established it's probably it's it's look it's a sometimes food for your kids. Yep. Um, they, 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 well, McDonald's does heavily market towards kids. Um, KFC is more marketing to families, and the, their advertising seems to be the 18 to 25 age group. Yeah, um, yeah. And they don't use a clown to, you know, hoodwink the kids. Yep. But, but uh, you know, w would you have any problems if uh, they, they started selling beer? And I, I, I would only have a problem in so far as I don't believe that we as a 
that drinking culture are mature enough to handle the responsibility of getting, <laughs> of getting alcohol in any form, whether it's beer, wine, spirits, soft drinks, alcohol pops, or uh, inverted commas, cider. Um, I, I just don't think we deserve to have the right to, to have any more access than we already have. And I think until we, we break out of that immaturity of, of not being able to... And it probably leads us on to another topic that's possibly worth having a bit of a chat about later in terms of uh, the perception of, of beer drinkers in, uh, in the blogosphere. Um, Man, that's a, yeah, well, yeah, look, that, and that's a really good um, topic. I mean, I, you're gonna, you've opened yourself up to all I just sorts think it's, of accusations of... Yeah, but look, you, you, you've opened yourself up to all sorts of allegations of paternalism and, you know, all of the libertarians are going to say, look, it's, I'm an adult, I should be allowed to choose what I want. And but if you're I, I, an adult, I would agree. <laughs> that's, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. And I, I think I signalled in one of our earlier podcasts that uh, one of the things I do want to look at this year is, um, you know, just, just even the whole um, view, the, the view that we hold of alcohol in, in, in this country. Um, but, you know, that look, and, and we'll leave that for another day. Um, we, we have an interview to go to. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, uh, I, look I find it very hard to say out. no to it because I, I, I don't see people heading down to the local KFC to get loaded. Um, people, no, you know, it, no. it's, it's one of those things. And I, and I look, you know, the, the number of licensed bars that, um, you know, if you're out in Brisbane's Fortitude Valley on a Friday night, um, the number of people who are staggering around, and they've they've all got loaded somewhere, and all the bar owners want to say they're getting preloaded before they go out, but you know they're in town and they're drinking in bars somewhere. Um, you know, I, I I can't see a good argument for KFC not being able to sell it if if the people they're adults. So I guess there are some issues because the number of people working behind the counter aren't at the drinking age, so there's a whole lot of things for the licensing uh, bodies to to deal with. But yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, I mean that, that's it. That's just sort of your um, your uh, what do you call it? You know, bureaucratic, you know, box ticking and that sort of thing. That that'll be the least of their of their worries. They obviously see it as um, a, a way to increase their market share. Uh, best of British luck to them. Yeah, yeah, but I, I do think that there is a little bit. You know, there's been a, a quite a lot of bagging of the idea from the the, the Twitter sphere, um, and you know, I, I think it's quite ironic people who. Um, seem to spend a lot of their time, and this might be tying in with what you were saying before, a lot of their time tweeting about their hangovers and you know how much they've consumed, how much alcohol they've consumed the night before, and how many you know crazy ass uh, craft beers they've uh, consumed the night before. Saying, "Gee, I don't think that you know McDonald's or I don't think KFC should be allowed to sell alcohol because people might abuse it." You know. Yeah. Just, yeah. just finding yeah a little bit of uh, inconsistency there, but uh, anyway, um, you know. That, that, that's what it is. But... Run the, the flagpole and, and see who salutes. Yeah, yeah, but as a little bit like you, it's not a huge uh, issue for me because I'm not likely to uh, be dining in at KFC at any time soon. Um... No, but it, it, and just on that, there is a. I think we need to have a major attitude shift, um, particularly in terms of social media, which is, as I mentioned in the last podcast, it's so closely linked to. Uh, the ebb and flow, the success and the marketing, the branding of, of what we, you know, call craft beer. I think we all have a responsibility to go out, have a good time and let everybody know just how well balanced or how brewery fresh or how surprisingly subtle uh, a particular beer was rather than 
tweeting the next morning how hard your head hurts and how many, you know, empty bottles are strewn around your lounge room. Yeah, and and uh, look, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't help our our the you know the, the royal we. It doesn't help our argument in in terms of saying that you know craft beer is not about. Um, it, it's different to the mainstream. It's different to this. You know, drink less, drink better. That, exactly. that whole idea of drink less, drink better. Yeah, when when yeah. you publicly drinking copiously, it doesn't really. Yeah, um, and. and uh, you know, I, I do fear that we're a little bit of out of uh, step or out of touch here. But I, I guess you and I both make our livings um, in this uh, sphere, and you know, we don't want to be associated with being the drunken louts um, of of the industry. Yep. Um, and look, and, hand on heart, had the internet and, and Facebook and whatever been around when I got my drinking license, I can't, I, I cannot honestly say that I wouldn't have, um, you know, proudly boasted. So I'm, I, I, I'm not. I'm just saying, I mean, you know, yeah, we're in a different space now, but I think yeah. that comes with a bit of responsibility to, to perhaps tap the young'uns on the shoulder and just say, don't be a fool. <laughs> people, are, people are watching. Yeah, but also, I, I, when I think about that, I'm very much the same as you, you know, a lot of people who knew me when I was 19 or 20 are probably laughing to hear me talk about it now. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I, I do think back to that time, um, and a lot of it was the attitudes that I had inherited from those that had gone before me. Um, you know, where the, the attitude, you know, when, when if your parents are standing around, you know, sort of talking about, oh, I've got the worst hangover last night or, you know, but, you know, um, yeah. talking about it as, as if it's, you know, uh, heroic to yeah. uh, you yeah. know, overcome the hangover as opposed to it's heroic to avoid the hangover. It, it, it's not surprising that 18, 19 and 20 year olds have that view of um, of, of drinking because it, it, it's an inherited um, thing. And to, to the industry's credit, um, you know, I have very mixed feelings about the industry's ability to self-regulate. But do you remember a couple of years ago, there was that really good um, campaign that was run by the uh, um uh, beer industry or the, the the alcohol industry where there was that series of generations of fathers sending their sons to the fridge to grab a beer and coming back and just sort of showing how uh, you know yeah yeah um, um, which was a really clever monkey um, see monkey do yeah yeah and, and and I think there's a lot um, to go with that and I, and I, I take that um, as being you know I get very personally upset when I see, you know, the the Telegraph, you know, talking about the ills of alcohol, and they always show a fat bloke drinking beer as if beer is the thing that's creating the problem. Yeah. And I and I know, like, you always see on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram people getting very upset about exactly the same thing. And then I want to sort of think, well, if you're out there celebrating the worst aspects or the overindulgence of beer. Do you, do you really have the ability to get upset? You don't see wine writers or wine drinkers or, you know, wine experts um, or wine advocates very often out there sort of trumpeting the number of empty bottles or, the you know, how, how bad they feel the next day. Um, and I, I, I think that, you know, those attitudes are, you know, probably are hand in hand, much as you said. Yeah. So anyway, so look, yeah, I, we'll, I, we'll, step yeah, we'll, down, we'll step down from the pulpit. Here endeth the lesson. So I'm, I'm glad that there's room on my soapbox for two, Pete. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, to me, I don't think it's even a, a soapbox kind of issue. I, I just think, uh, I don't know. Perhaps it's Waldorf and Statler sitting up in the in the uh, the balcony box looking down. I do fear that there's see, a little bit of that, that yeah. others that others aren't. I don't know. Yep. I, I I guarantee we're not alone, and I'm sure that there isn't a brewer out there who would uh, who would 
prefer not to see their name associated with a hangover or a messy night or whatever it might be. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, yeah, we need to get on. And before we do, just need to uh, thank, we've already thanked Cryer Malt, who, uh, David Cryer, who is a, a legend and a supporter of ours. And uh, if you have any malt requirements, give Dave Cryer a call. And we also have to thank Brewpack, um, because Brews, Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, the same company that makes possible a large number of the craft beers that you no doubt enjoy, enjoy because they are Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and keg beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on brewers in the brewery. If you're thinking about craft contract brewing, think Brewpack. And uh, we very much thank Brewpack for helping us to cover the bandwidth and the costs associated with this podcast. Very much now, so. Yeah. Um, now, we might head, uh, go and uh, chat to uh, Jadeep Chengrasekra. <laughs> yes, yep. thank you. Thank you, Prof. Um, another reason why I don't uh, drink very much is because that would be impossible to pronounce. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and we'll find out a little bit more about this year's uh, Crown Ambassador Reserve. And uh, joining me now, in, in addition to Tim, is uh, the head brewer for CUB, um, JD. Uh, I'm not even going to try. Um, uh, just pronounce your, your surname for me, JD. Uh, Chandra Shekhar. Um, now, you are the head brewer for CUB, is yes. your official title. I don't I like to get these things uh, correct. Chief brewer is the Chief brewer. Title. Um, and we're talking about the future of uh, the, the, the Crown brand. Um, we've already talked a little bit about the Crown Golden Ale, but. One of the other um, brand extensions that we haven't mentioned is the Crown Ambassador Reserve Lager that was introduced seven years yeah. ago now yeah. uh, from memory. 2007, I, I think, was the, or 2008 was the first time it was launched, and we're about to have a bit of a sampling for it. Tim, do you want to tell me a little bit about um, where you see the, the Crown Ambassador going before you hand over and uh, Jadeep and I can try it? Yeah, so it's uh, a couple of things. I think um, a couple of... Uh podcast ago, Matt, we promised you an exclusive. So today we, we finally delivered on that promise for you and we have the, the first bottle of our 2014 release for, for us to try and I think we've got a bottle for you to to, to, to take away and I guess um, part of that was just to say a bit of a thank you to you for being a champion of our, our category. As oh, I said thank you, you very much. As I said to you off air, I think sometimes um, you, uh, you're always balanced and we don't, off, sometimes we don't like the facing that truth but as I, as I said the reality is that we feel it's great when people have the passion that you do for the beer category and you champion it and, it's and nice to know I won't need to taste it or taste it before I I think you know this is part of um, our our commitment to you know keep innovating around the crown brand and, and keep delivering on this promise of being Australia's finest and I, I guess for us in the future it's something that we think has a, a place for us and we've got you know, quite a loyal following of people who, you know, buy this when it comes out in, in every release. I guess, you know, our future vision for this is to make sure that it, it stays true to being a beer and doesn't try to masquerade and a, as a wine. I mean, I think as an industry, this is a great beer. You know, it's a interesting, challenging beer with, you know, great ingredients in it and a great story. And, you know, Jadeep will talk to, to what makes it special in a second, but... You know, we want to market it as a beer, not as a wine. I was and fascinated to hear, to hear you say that when we talked about it very briefly off air, um, that 
because I, I think one of the things I've always loved about Crown Ambassador is that it's elevated beer um, beyond the weapons of mass consumption yeah, that I, I, yeah. I sometimes refer to. Um, and you know, there was a whole lot of, um, uh, shall we say, uh, for want of a better word, wank uh, about it. But, yeah. but, but that's often important. Um, you know, aspiration might be a, a better yeah. um, word for it. But uh, do, do, do I pick up from what you're saying that you think that maybe it went too far into uh, uh, trying to be wine as opposed to celebrating the best elements of beer? Well, I, I think, you know, uh, it's no, no circuit that, you know, I talk about the fact that you know, beer has lost its seat at the dinner table to wine over the last couple of decades. And, you know, you talked about and written about the ABS stats that talk about the, the beer per capita decline compared to the wine industry. And I think, you know, as I said to you earlier, the great thing about craft beer as it's got people interested in beer again however i do passionately believe and we passionately believe that you know the future for what is great about this product is it did elevate you know um people's you know, interest in beer and 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 however for beer to be successful going forward i think it needs to be proud about being a beer and stay true to what makes beer such a fantastic you know beverage rather than try to pretend to be a wine, right? Because I think, you know, at its heart, beer, like you talk about on your show, about being a conversation, you know, it's a reasonably egalitarian product. It's for everyone. And I think you, you talked about a bit of the wank associated, you know, I'd say, not just with, you know, this product, but maybe also some of the craft industry as well, right? Is that I think while there's enormous positives in there when you think about, great ingredients, different styles of beer, getting people interested in that, understanding that beers can go with food just like wine can go with food. All that's positive in the new piece, but I don't think what we should ever try to do is worry about, you know, the pretentiousness that comes with wine, you know, or try to think that we need to be a wine. I think we should just be proud about being beers and about the interesting styles of beers rather than focusing on what, you know, it, it's all, you know, again, coming back to marketing, it's around, focus on what your strengths are and market those strengths and be proud of those strengths rather than try to copy or replicate what your competitors' strengths are. If the beer category tries to replicate wine and keeps thinking about what wine's doing right, I think we're always going to play second fiddle as opposed to focusing on what's great about beer and getting more people interested in what's great about beers. So, you know, I think the you know, the subtle changes for us going forward on this on this um, on ambassador going forward is we want to market it as a beer, you know, like, and that might just be subtle changes in some of the languages, you know. I think at the in the past and even today we talk about different vintages and whatnot. That's not that's not beer language. That's wine language, right? So, what's our language within? beer that we can use and if you go back to history i have conversations with the like of yourself and your deep and i get excited as a marketer because there's such amazing language that's in the beer category that we don't tend to use that i think consumers would find engaging let's use that language rather than go and copy wine language if that makes sense so that that's probably where i'm, I'm coming from on that it does uh, tim i know that you've got a, a meeting to uh, race off to and uh, you've been very generous with your time so uh, tim mavadia thank you very much for joining me on uh, radio brews news thank you for joining the conversation and uh, I, I know that just from the brief chat we had uh, before on air that there's a lot we'll have a lot more conversations in the future just about uh, some of the beer space generally yeah maybe we can talk about the craft industry next time that'll be a fascinating chat thanks for having us Absolutely. really appreciate it thanks Tim yeah. and Jadeep welcome to uh, Radio Brews News thank you very much for joining me to talk about uh, Crown Ambassador Reserve 
Uh, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, what we have here for you today is the uh, 2014 Crown Ambassador Reserve. We've actually just finished the uh, secondary conditioning uh, process that it goes through, the bottle fermentation process, and it's actually not the finished product from a packaging perspective, but it's, it's finished in our views from a brewing perspective, and we're just about to send it off for the, the final packaging presentation you know, into a gift box and the sort of waxing that goes on to the, the beautiful uh, presentation yeah. that, uh, that that we're used to. I, I guess uh, Tim's just told us a little bit about the um, the brand thinking or the marketing thinking yeah. behind the beer, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, the brewing process that you go through for this beer. Um, you know, what uh, I know that Pride of Ringwood is it's a lager, um, true to the traditional yeah. Crown Lager. It's uh, Pride of Ringwood is used as well. Um, yeah. It, it's a lot stronger than the traditional uh, Crown Lager. Um, yep. Perhaps you can tell us about the brewing process and uh, and has this used a portion of barrel-aged uh, beer yes. as well? You, you've yep. continued that. So yep. maybe you can tell us about the so process. We, so we, we have really, I suppose, straight, stayed the same way as the, the previous year. So, you know, it's gone to an old malt beer like Crown. Um, Did the, the former versions of Ambassador have adjunct sugars as well? The... Oh, oh, the Original ones, the, original the first ones. few ones did, uh, but you know, with the change, with the change uh, to Crown to an old malt brew, we made the change to Crown Ambassador as well. Uh, so again, it's you know has the Crown DNA, the malt and the Pride of Ringwood hops. Uh, we also use freshly picked hops. So this is again, you know, and I think just picking up on uh, Tim's point earlier about vintage, it's really aligned to the hop harvest. You know, so that's how I like to look at look at this beer. Uh, we pick, you know, the fresh hops. So, you know, Tully was one of my brewers who, who looks after, you know, the brewing of this brand. We've seen some beautiful uh, photos of Tully yeah. in, the, uh, in, <laughs> in the hop fields. Yeah, so he, you know, he normally goes up there, you know, make sure that we get the, the first pick of the, the hops, the Pride of Ringwood hops, and that's what we use uh, in this product, uh, in the whole, you know, fresh hop form. Uh, but this year, you know, we've, we've done something a little different. We've also used an experimental variety um, um, of hops, uh, which, which really has its sort of, you know, I'd say the origin in 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 where galaxies come from. Uh, it's a slightly higher alpha hop compared to galaxy, which in itself is a high alpha hop. Uh, and what that's done is actually given a little more complexity in terms of the aroma. Mm -hmm. So while galaxy, you know, gives you that sort of passion fruit, those kind of aromas, the the experimental variety we've used actually just gives a little hint of stone fruit as well, which you know I think when we taste it, we, we'll pick that up. Um, how about the malt? Uh, have you got a little some uh, sort of uh, modified malts, like some crystal malts yeah. in there as well, in yeah. addition to the uh, regular crown? Yes, there is. So you'll see that in in, in the colour that that you'd see in the um, uh, in, in the beer. So uh, talk us through the brewing process. There's the the, the um, kettle hopping. Yep. Uh, is there light hopping for for this one? Yes, there is. So we're adding the obviously the. Uh, the uh, fresh hops are added added late uh, to to give you that you know complex aroma that we associate with this beer, um, and then you know once it goes through the fermentation, it goes through it's you know kept in storage for a you know fairly long period of, of time, uh, and then are, are you able to, and, and, and this isn't having a dig at the um, at some previous comments. I'm just genuinely interested in is the primary fermentation very long or uh, I would the 
the primary fermentation is very similar to what we would do with the other beers. It's just that the the secondary storage, cold storage, is a longer period, and mm. that's you know to be honest, it's it's a combination of a couple of factors. Yeah, we keep it longer, but also we're brewing this beer, you know, in March, you know, when the hop harvest is there, and you know, typically we're sort of getting it ready around this time of the year. So it spends a fair amount of time in storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose the other distinction really is this is a bottle conditioned beer. Um, so it has you know live yeast in it and there's secondary fermentation in bottle so once we've packaged it we we actually store it warm to get that secondary conditioning and we keep testing it till you know we're happy with with the taste and the carbonation level and the flavor and we've reached that point uh, you know i think we reached that point a little over a week ago so, which is why you're getting the uh, a taste of the the first bottle. Oh, it was a, a, a genuine surprise. I certainly wasn't expecting it uh, when we came in. Um, the the Crown Ambassador process has been a one of learnings, uh, I, I guess, for the brewers because yep. I'd, uh, several years ago uh, there was the um, Britannomyces. Yep. Um, I, I won't call it inf- an infection because I know a lot of people who uh, for whom that was one of their favourite um, vintages yep. um, and. These days, if craft brewing shows us anything, it's only a flaw if you didn't intend it to taste that way. Um, But uh, there has been a lot of learnings um, for brewers who work in a, a, again, not a pejorative sense, but in in an industrial capacity where consistency and repeating the process um, and and making a beer that's a little bit special like this um, and using barrel ageing techniques is something that um, initially the brewers probably weren't all that used to doing. Yeah, and I think that was certainly a learning for us. And, you know, it was, you know, I'd be fair to say that at that point it wasn't something that we'd, we'd intended. Uh, we certainly learned, you know, in terms of our process and what you need to do to, to prevent that. I've had, you know, discussions with with friends who, you know, work in, you know, smaller, you know, we might call them craft brewers or, uh, you know, who do a lot of battle aging. And, and certainly I think one of the things that we've learned, we've learned, and, you know, I think other people have learned is that when you do battle aging, particularly if you're doing battle aging with, uh, you know, using wine casks, then that's something that you actually keep separate from your, you know, where you do the bulk of your brewing. So, you know, I've certainly, I've got a friend of mine in the UK who runs, you know, fairly large uh, brewery there called Meantime, and he does all his barrel aging in a separate facility to where he does, uh, you know, his normal production. And, you know, and so that was a learning, certainly a learning for us. Uh, I think the, uh, you know, we won't taste it, but I think you've tasted it the last time when you were around. I gave you a stout that we had sort of blended yes. some, where we blended with some bourbon-aged um, right. um, Crown Ambassador, and I've actually got a bottle for you to take as well off that. Uh, but you know, but again, that, to me, those are again options that when you look at barrel aging, uh, one of the things we learned was that if you go into spirit space and use you know barrels that have been used for aging spirits, then it gives you a you know a level of complexity that a wine barrel doesn't. It also then doesn't have the sort of micro pitfalls of you know of using a barrel that's uh, been used to age wine and, and I guess that's something that might surprise a lot of listeners uh, just how extensive the research and development program is that, that you, you do have a pilot brewery there and you yeah. do have barrels and you've you've got a lot of beers that are being tried and you're always trying yeah. uh, interesting things and a, a very small percentage of those are ever going to see the the light of day or at least certainly uh, the, the public are ever going to taste yeah and I think there's there's two parts there, and I've, you know, I've certainly spoken to you before. One is around raw materials. So we do a lot of research around raw materials, so whether it's 
barleys that you know we use to make malt or whether it's uh, you know hop varieties so we do a lot of work with hop products australia in terms of evaluating new varieties of hops um, so and a lot of the experimental varieties we've actually used in the cascade first harvest releases that we do every year so so you know that's work that's ongoing for us you know to really understand our ingredients and you know at the end of the day beer i always say is a pretty simple business right you've got You've got a choice of a few ingredients that you can use in varying proportions uh, to make, you know, a, a diverse range of beer styles, and, and so that's the bit that interests us when we look at, you know, understanding our raw materials. Is you know, how, you know, how do we actually provide something that's different, you know? And I think that's what we're trying to do, you know. So what Tim comes to us with his insights from a marketing perspective is, he says, look. You know, this is what consumers are looking for, and you know, I suppose the challenge for us as brewers is, you know, how do we actually deliver that using the ingredients that we've got? So, which is why it's really important for us to understand, you know, how, you know, how the, you know, ingredients are made up and what we can develop from those ingredients. Uh, the second part to your question, really, I suppose, is, yes, we do a lot of work, and you know, and I like to, I think, give my brewers the the latitude to to play a little bit, if you like, uh, because. You know, I think when you when you have a range of brands, and you know, a lot of them are are large brands, where you know consistency is the key. So the challenge for our brewers is on those brands is to make those brands exactly the same every time. Uh, but at the same time, I you know still want to give them some creative license, if you like, and that's where we use the you know we use the uh, pilot plant that we have, where the you know brewers have sometimes when they have a bit of free time, they have a bit of play and you know come up with something. And tell us a little bit about the, the barrel aging that was uh, used in this. Uh, from memory, it used to be around about seven percent of the uh, previous vintage was barrel aged, or it was yeah. the, the barrel aged previous vintage was added to the following years. Is, is that the same formula or the same process that's being used now? Yeah. So we actually take off a little bit from the, the current vintage, put that in barrels, and then we then put that back at the end when we're getting ready to bottle. So that's the process, and to be honest, the the percentages vary from from year to year. So I think this year we've used a little, a little more mm -hmm. uh, of the barrel vintage in the uh, in the final blend. And uh, what's the release date that we're looking at for for this one? Is it a, around the Melbourne Cup uh, first week of November? Yeah. Around because Crown Golden Ale is obviously the uh, sponsor of the Melbourne Cup. Caulfield, Caulfield Cup. Cup, sorry. That's right. Um, so, uh, and it's been released to coincide with that. Yep. Scott, do you want to come over and join us? Uh, okay. for, for, for. So, Scott Tyndall, who's the uh, marketing manager for, for Crown. Um, yeah. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much for joining us. Rather than just sort of, uh, speak to somebody in the corner, we thought yeah, you could be here. And so, obviously, there's a, a long, proud, proud history of, uh, of uh, Foster sponsoring the Melbourne Cup and uh, Crown... Uh, Golden Ale is sponsoring the Caulfield Cup, which is another big day on the the, the racing calendar. What was the thinking behind that? Oh, look, it was a really simple one, Matt. It was probably more about just awareness for the new launch. It was a great opportunity for us to ensure that we tell as many Australian people as possible that this beer exists and, and try it. And the great thing about, I guess, horse racing as a sport is you've got a really small select number of days where we've got a lot of people and they can try the product so that's uh... and I wonder how many car salesmen are going to be celebrating <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. couldn't resist that one sorry um, so well maybe we should uh, give the 2014 reserve lager a, a, a taste now we, we have got the iconic bottle uh, it's a champagne bottle yeah. um, that we're being used um, now 
this is a, a bottle conditioned beer, so it will have the yeast. Uh, it, yep. it is on the lees now. Yep. Okay. So, listeners, uh, it is much darker than your everyday crown. It's got a lovely carbonation. Um, so, you have very fine uh, beading. A lot of dead air when everyone's uh, say, tasting it. It doesn't make for great radio, but uh, <laughs> how would you describe um, this? To, to describe the style of this beer, because it's, it's something that I found in the past. Brewers have been very reluctant to actually call it a style. Would you call it a, a, a dunkel, um, like a German-style dark lager, or? Yeah, to me, I think it's it's really. You know, dunkels are normally not as strong as, as this. So getting into the Bok territory? Yep. But, but it's also, I suppose, you know, when you look at sort of between a really strong, you know, almost like a, between a Bok and a barley wine, because you're up at about 10, 10.5% alcohol and it's, bottle, and it's bottle conditioned. So, you know, and I think this is, you know, to Tim's earlier point, this is, you know, a, a beer for us as brewers to be really proud of and for us to have the opportunity to brew something like this. And, and really, I think the opportunity is really for us to celebrate it as a beer. And I think that's, you know, I think one of the challenges that Tim was alluding to. Um, but, you know, to me, it again, you know, comes back to the ingredients that, that we use in this. So it's really about, you know, celebrating the, the hop and the fact that the fresh hops go into this. And we've used, you know, a couple of different varieties this time in doing that. So while staying true to the... Uh, uh, crown DNA from a Pride of Ringwood perspective, but we've also then extended it to using an experimental variety this time. Well, I am. I'm always very reluctant. Whilst I've, I'm never too reluctant to pass judgment on marketing. I'm always very reluctant to pass um, judgment on beers because I think it's so subjective, particularly yeah. when, you, when you know what you're tasting. And yeah. it, it, it's very hard, I find, to, uh, to form a fair judgment of a beer when you're sitting with the brewer tasting it, particularly when you... Uh, like the brewer and you, you which means you want to like the, the beer but um it really is a study in yeast um for me because as you, you mentioned yeah. barley wine and i'm getting a lot of the flavor the, the, the malt characteristics yeah. of, a, of a barley wine yeah. and but using the lager yeast it's it, it's just got that crispness and that lighter body that doesn't come through a much heavier barley wine um for, for the alcohol you're right and i think the hop gives it a nice balance you know you're still getting the you know the complex hop aroma coming through like a little bit of passion fruit and stone fruit coming through on the aroma. But, you know, as you said, on the palate, it's nice, rich and complex. You get the maltiness coming through on the palate. A lot of um, homebrewers particularly, and a lot of people who uh, fancy their palates talk about the, the, the classic POR, or the, the Pride of Ringwood style, and it's, it's something that I'm never entirely sure what they're talking about because Pride of Ringwood does have a signature, I, I, I guess, but... Um, I'm certainly not picking that up in in this beer. The Galaxy seems to be... Uh, it, it's a very light touch with the Galaxy Hop, but it, it is getting a little bit of fruitiness out there, but certainly not, um, I guess, Stonerwood Pacific Ale is the classic Galaxy beer in, in a lot of ways. Just that it's so obviously passion fruit um, that, that I'm not yeah. getting any of that. So how, how was the Galaxy used in this beer? That's not, it's not Galaxy. This is actually a, an experimental... Oh, sorry, the experimental hop, sorry. It's actually an experimental hop that we've used uh, from the HPA uh, uh, stable, mm -hmm. if you like, uh, 
to use a racing analogy. Yes. Uh, the, but, you know, and I think the when you look at where that pop came from, it has in, in its sort of lineage, if you like, some of the, you know, galaxy uh, uh, crosses, if you like, right. in the lineage. Um, but it certainly, yeah, it certainly has that light... Um, Character that's that's not quite as bursting uh, aroma. So, was it used as fresh flowers in the uh, in the brew? Late hopped, late hopped hopped with it. Yeah, so fresh flowers, late hopped. So Mm. this was you know when Tully went up and picked them. uh, Was in March, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, early March. Yeah, early March. March. Yeah. So, um, and you know, again, I think to me, beer is about balance. So, you know, and, and with everything, whether it's Crown Ambassador or... Can I say testify there? And, you know, Crown Golden Ale, you know, you were talking about that earlier with Tim and, you know, about... And it's about balance and, and we try and get that balance right as brewers. I mean, I think it's, you know, to my mind, it's easy to be overweighted on one side. But again, on this one, it's, it's about getting that harmony right between, you know, the yeast notes, as you, as you pointed out. You know, getting the malt character coming through, but also getting the hops coming through, and it's really, you know, to my mind, it's about really giving the consumer, you know, a window into, you know, what are the, what are the sort of tools or ingredients that we have as brewers to be able to showcase, you know, a particular beer. It's it, it, it's interesting, and without sort of going too far off topic, but do you find do do you have a view that a lot of the um, or, or maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but that uh, a lot of craft beers go too far in the hoppiness, um, for example, and, and I only ask because I, I recently uh, upset a few people by posing the question: Isn't a, a sessional IPA just a grossly unbalanced American pale ale? Uh, sessional IPAs tend to be the flavour of the month at the moment, and uh, I can't work yeah, out. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, I think you know, you make a beer, and I think the consumer decides, mm. you know, on, on whether they like it or not. And you know, I think the the test at the end of the day is if you know if they buy your product. So you know, I think that's that to me is the you know the ultimate test. So, so I think as brewers, you know, I suppose our role is you, you can make beers that you like personally, um, or you, you know you can do that. You make beers that you know, address you know consumer needs. You know, and I think what we do certainly, you know, when we get briefs is we get a brief and understanding from people like Scott and Tim in terms of what the consumer need is, and we then try we then translate that into okay, what what does the beer look like? So. You know, if I took Crown Golden Ale as an example, you know, to me it was about just getting, you know, maintaining the DNA of Crown in terms of the ingredients that we use, but making it just that little bit different, right? So, and we did that by really, you know, so we have the same platform in terms of the malt that we use and the pride of Ringwood hops that we use. So that's that's the DNA of Crown. Mm-hmm. And what we did in this particular product, we said, okay, it's an ale, so we use an ale yeast. We put some crystal malt in there just to change the palate a little bit. So, you know, make more complex than normal crown but not you know too complex and then really when we look at the hop just that little you know the the amount of galaxy that we use was not overt so there are you know other brands that you referenced earlier that you know have a really big galaxy character but the intent here was not to have that Mm -hmm. and and so that's where we landed you know with crown gold nail and and we're happy with you know where that landed and i think you know, certainly, uh, you know, the marketing folk are happy as well in terms of when you look at the product landscape, the sensory landscape, that, you know, that appears really in the right space. Um, so, you know, I think there is a place. I mean, we have, you know, to me, Alpha Pale Ale is a great beer, you know, in our portfolio. Absolutely. You know, I, I, you know, I would, I love that beer and I drink that, you know, when I'm down at the garage. Um, but, you know, again, I think you've got to be able to brew beers for different tastes, you know, and I think that's 
that's I think the wonderful thing about our business is you know we can do a crown ambassador, we can do an alpha pale ale, but just as well we can do a Carlton dry. Or and it was something that I was I started to raise with Tim, but uh, the whole idea of craft and premium, there's a, a real blurring at, at the margins of those two styles. And I see that the, uh, the the Crown Golden Ale is the first one to take a beer with uh, craft stylings, um, and but put it out under what's uh, regarded as a mainstream premium brand. And do you think that we'll see a lot more of of that happening where? Definitions of craft matter less than flavour and backstory, you know, flavour and story, rather than strict definitions of what craft is. I mean, look, I think there's a sort of a marketing angle to that, which you know maybe Scott yes. can answer. My, my personal view is, I think, as a as a consumer and as a beer lover, uh, you know, my view is you should appreciate a beer purely based on the sensory, you know, experience that that you that you get from it. Now, but. We also then, you know, have the complete packages, really, the brand. So there, there's the brand story as well. But see, so for for me, that's part of the perception. You know, that, that's um, it's very hard to divorce, except in a truly blind tasting. It's very hard to divorce the um, the, the brand and the, the brand promise when you know that that's what you're drinking. It's the same as uh, drinking the company of the brewer. Um, yeah. it, it is is part of the sensory um, expectation or the or the sensory perception um, of the drinking. I mean, I, I think to your point, I think what what we're going to see in, in the beer landscape is, you know, I suppose diversity in terms of brewing styles, we're seeing that. Uh, you know, and I think as you said, you know, it's a bit like, you know, adolescence, you get through that sort of rebelling phase and you have beers that are really big and complex, uh, but we're also seeing now, you know, beers that are more approachable and, you know, those are beers that are actually selling. So, to my mind, I think we're going to see a range of beer styles. Could you see a range of beer styles uh, come out in, in, in the market? Food-wise, um, what would you consider pairing this to? I think the the great thing with Tron Ambassador is, you know, you could pair it with a range of things, but, you know, to me, I think, um, you know, rich, you know, meats would be good with it. You know, I'd certainly, you know, like to have it with a nice uh, steak mm-hmm. uh, or even, you know, rich sort of, casserole type of mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, dishes would be good. I'm actually thinking just that, that delicate hop um, character and, and the, the, the lager body um, comes through. I'm actually thinking of a, um, I'd love to try it with some carpaccio or something like yeah. that. Some, uh, and even like an oily fish, like a mul- yeah. like a fresh mullet yeah. or something with a little bit of a uh, curry like that, just to accentuate the beer. Um, but look, I, I know that we've uh, been... Uh, much you've been much more generous with your time than, than I was expecting, so we probably should uh, uh, wind down. Uh, Jadip uh, Chandrasekhar, um, thank you very much for joining us, and Scott Tyndall uh, from uh, Crown uh, uh, Marketing, uh, thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much for hosting me down here today, and uh, thank you very much for introducing me to the uh, Crown Ambassador 2014. I, I guess very quickly, Scott, before we go, um, what sort of RRP are we looking at uh, for when it hits uh, shelves in the first week of October, uh, November? Yeah, sure, mate. It'll be uh, on sale for ninety five ninety, so in Dan Murphy's exclusively and the off premise. Having sort of started to wind things up, I might just very uh, quickly ask. Yeah. I've noticed that uh, over the last two years that there has been a real trend of CUB launching with either of the the, the, the two big retailers. Um, Crown Golden Ale was uh, given to Dan's exclusively. Yep. Um, some of the Matilda Bay brands have uh, been launched yep. through uh, the the Coles. Uh, chains. 
Um, I, I recall that when Ari Mervis, who's CEO um, of CUB uh, Asia Pacific, I, I believe, um, one of the first things he said was that there was a lot of uh, fence mending that needed to be done with the, the, the big chains. Has there been any blowback or any negative sentiment uh, from favouring each of the two chains, both from each other, and then also in terms of the independent uh, retailing se sector? Uh, not to my knowledge. I think for, for in a lot of respects we've given the independents things that work really well for them. Um, so whether that be Carlton Dry, whether that be VB, Special Edition Packs, Pack Differentiation. I mean, Crown Ambassador is probably a credit to Dan Murphy's in the way they execute premium brands. It's no different, to be honest, to a lot of the champagne houses or a lot of the spirit houses. Unfortunately, in the marketplace at the moment, they are clearly head and shoulders above everyone else and executing premium products in a premium way. I mean, Matt, no one else is going to be able to reach 10,000 people on a Saturday afternoon tasting this beverage, and that's probably what we need to increase its profile and space. So it's, it's a byproduct of the, the market dynamics for this. But that being said, as I said before, the independents at the moment are getting a lot of things from us exclusively, which work really well for them. So whether that be drive-through packs for Thirsty Camel, or whether that be you know, pack differentiation for, for some of the other independent chains. So um, it's almost we're kind of allowing different retailers to win where they play best, if that makes sense. Just one last question with the, the, the bottling, uh, Jadeep, is this is a champagne bottle, and my understanding of the, the, the straight neck it goes back to the method champenoise where it's gradually yep. riddled and degorged. Have you given any thought to sort of really adding to the cost of producing this beer by having a, an extended uh, riddling process to, to so you, you're quite no, happy to uh, bottle no, it? No, we haven't, and I mean, we're, we're quite happy with you know, where, where we sit in terms of the, the production process on it. Wonderful. Scott, Jadeep, thank you very much for your time, and uh, thank you very much for sharing a uh, Crown Ambassador with me. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Thanks for Matt. having us uh, on the show. There we go, Prof. Now, we've been going for a while. Um, probably need to uh, just sort of wind things up now. But before we sign off, a um, few little things, a few little housekeeping things. We're not terribly good on the housekeeping, Prof, uh, but just letting people know uh, that Radio Brews News isn't the only place that you can find us. A lot of people find us through iTunes or their podcast listeners, and that's how they've found us. They may not be aware that there is actually a website called Australian Brews News, and you can find us at, at brewsnews.com.au. Uh, Bruce News is Australia's leading beer news and current affairs site, if that's not too modest to say. Um, wouldn't say the best, Australia's best craft beer site. I, I actually think that's Crafty Pint. But uh, I, I think when you're looking at beer news and discussion, uh, Australian Bruce News certainly fills that gap. And certainly in terms of, without blowing our own trumpet, but uh, as my grandfather said, you may as well chant. There's no other bugger will do it for you. Um, a broader look at, at, at mainstream beer, at the issues around beer, the culture of beer, controversy corner um the only thing you probably won't find um is sort of you know our opinions on particular beers i guess you know in terms of uh, doing you know out of 10 reviews and that kind of thing yeah yeah i have been toying with the a little idea of because it's, it's very hard you don't want to slam a beer but people do want to know what you like um they don't necessarily want to know um what you don't like and i am thinking of just sort of having a list of you know some of matt's faves um 
but uh, I, I don't know how I'll do that and sort of keep consistent with uh, what we're talking about. But that, that, that's another digression. But uh, in, in addition to finding us at um, brewsnews.com.au, you can also find us on Facebook as Australian Brews News. And we're also on Twitter as Oz Brews News. That's OZ Brews News. Um, Pete, where can people find and follow you? Uh, either Brews News or um, Pete Mitchum at Facebook. Pete Mitchum uh, personally, but you're also at Beer Blokes on Twitter? Uh, at Beer Blokes, yes, on Twitter. At Beer Blokes. And yeah. uh, I am at Good Beer Matt on both Twitter and Instagram, so you can certainly find us there. Um, apart from that, uh, we've got nothing left to say. We do thank Cry Malt and Brewpack for making the show possible, and uh, we look forward to having a beer with you very soon. We do have a couple of great interviews. These are all interviews that were recorded in the second quarter, of, in the last quarter of last year, and we've got uh, actually we've got a great one coming up very shortly with uh, Anton Spitzelak from uh, Brewpack, and uh, we have a chat about his take on the craft beer industry, where it's going, and uh, introducing the concept of a thing called the mega cycle. So uh, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, thank you very much for joining us for this podcast, and we look forward to having a beer with you again very, very soon. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, mate. And listeners, keep those cards and letters coming in. Um, we do appreciate your feedback. Uh, a shout out quickly just before we go to Sarah Smith. Um, I'm sorry that I shit-canned your, um, your favourite IPA glass. Uh, the glass is all very fine. I, I, don't stop using the glass on my account. I hope I haven't upset you. But, I did um, query that. I didn't think you'd shit-canned it. I, I, I just said we were making the point that it may not be the... There, there may be a lot of fashionability in its uh, uptake at the moment. It may not necessarily be... Oh, the yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying the Emperor's not wearing any clothes, but he's, he's maybe just wearing an ill-fitting speedo. Or a, just a gossamer covering. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, Prof, so, th- yeah, so thank you for Sarah Smith. Please do engage with us on uh, any of the various social media sources and uh, we will give you a shout-out uh, on our next podcast as well. Terrific. Take care, everyone. There's a garden. What a garden. Only happy faces bloom there And there's never And we're out.